What have our guests talked about and what have they not talked about? In this special episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast, we're going to be discussing all this and more. Welcome to another special episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. No guest this week, but I am delighted as ever to be joined by my co-host, Darren Phil. And um, great to be with you again, Nico. I'm delighted as always to be joined by you, the one and only Nico Aspinall. Um, and, and you're the man who's failed to see any racing at the last three Grand Prix, haven't you? Yes, that's right. So uh, three attempts. Um, so I did see, well, it wasn't racing, but we saw one lap behind the pace car at Belgium last year in the in the pouring rain. Um, and of course, this year, the Italian Grand Prix was cancelled because of the disaster yeah. in Emilia de Romana. So our, our thoughts really go out to that region, yeah. you know, terrible flooding. Um, and it's absolutely right. They, they called off the, yeah. the Grand Prix. But yeah. I am starting to wonder if I'm a bit cursed. Well, <laughs> well maybe fourth time lucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully um, you'll, get, you'll get tickets uh, for next year. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I really want to see the region. and it, it, you know, It's quite a heritage track, so I do mm. like, just want to mm. see it. Uh, but it's obviously not the only disappointing thing going in on our sporting lives, Darren. Oh, no, there's, there's, there's just too much bad news, isn't there? <laughs> so, yes, the Arsenal, uh, I guess, tripped up at the last. But, um, you know, the, the, the pace from Man City is 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 pretty unbearable so uh, just incredible a, to get that close right? they're, they're just a phenomenal phenomenal team um yeah. and you know basically they've got two first teams they can just swap players out left mm. right and center and you know improve the team not just keep it where it is and yeah. I think um, yeah. you know that was the the main difference you know Arsenal have had a fantastic season you know if we were if we if we'd have started this podcast at the start of the season you know mm. um I don't think we'd have ever be mentioning the fact that you know Arsenal were potentially challenging at one point. Yeah, uh, as I say, yeah. I just think they they ran out of steam. But you know, a great season and um, you know, glass more than half full. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so look, we've given ourselves a little bit of leeway of topics that we're not normally allowed to talk about. I guess because we don't have a guest. Uh, but one topic that I'm desperate to talk to you about, Darren, is is the piano. Um, so I guess when we last touched on this, we we had a listener request for Eric Satie. How's how's that going? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, there's 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 a lot going on at the moment, and um, mm. my teacher has also been away. Um, she was in away for in Germany for a few weeks, so I haven't been as diligent as I otherwise would be. But I, I'm hoping. Um, as my lessons pick up again, and as that incentivizes me to track uh, to, to 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 practice, then mm. um, you know you, ne- you never know we might see something soon. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm working my way through. I mean, very badly, right? Uh, but through the Chopin Ballade uh, number one uh, and a little bit of number four. Well, I think number four could be a potential theme tune for us. Oh. Well, you know, um, but that'd be quite controversial. You know, we've we spent loads <laughs> of effort and energy building the brand. You know, and <laughs> no. um, you know, and it's all about the tune, Nico. No, well, uh, you're very, very kind, uh, but um, I, I think we're going to have to reinvent this brand at some stage. 
think Ooh. at some stage and and if the only thing is to change the theme tune um then you know compared to like the bbc news which in my lifetime has had several different rocking theme tunes um you know. <laughs> like most people would be discussing issues like this you know not live on the podcast but you know well fair i, 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 I didn't i didn't know we were going to be changing the brand but you know maybe, maybe one to discuss <laughs> yeah. well the, we we need to discuss merch at some stage as well Darren. Merch. i'm sure listeners if you'd like to get a t-shirt with the vfm logo on or a cup or something like that you know just let us know but look, let's move on so in this episode we thought we'd take look we've deliberately not got a guest haven't we darren this is this is not an accident of booking um we thought it was a good moment for us to look back over the podcast we've we've had the interviews we've done and really to try and uh, pull out some of the key themes and views that have been emerging yeah and um we do really hope that our listeners so far have enjoyed um the podcast you know we've had some great feedback um and that's due to the amazing guests that we've had on the podcast mm. who have been incredibly generous with their time their knowledge sharing their in experience and insights so i think we should just do a round of applause for our guests and a big shout <laughs> out to our guests that have appeared so far yes so i can do a round of applause like that but uh, maybe listeners wherever you are now please clap yes please clap and, um, you know, if you're on the train and people are looking at you weirdly, then, you know, just just wink at them and say <laughs> you're listening to VFM. So, uh, yeah, look, we've been super lucky, I think, with the guests that we've had. We've got some great guests to come. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for me, I think it's so interesting for us to hear the different perspectives that we have across our industry. Um, and also, you know, how the accident that got people into pensions, yeah, I know. How, that, how that all worked. Um, I think, well, we've had sort of 18 guests, 19 guests. And yeah. We've only had one who chose, like, <laughs> uh, you know, early to, to come into pensions. So, um, yeah. It's like we need, a, we need an alliteration, like the accidental actuary. We need something um uh that that is related to pensions on that <laughs> it feels like a career black hole <laughs> it, it sucks sucks everyone in at the right time but um you know we're delighted to be here once you're through uh the uh the, the portal we're delighted to be here yeah um, <laughs> so look we'll, we'll come on to um the discussion of what we've heard um but should we do some news first yeah we always do news and um we always i think we have a, a, a great discussion so um are you going to go first nico or do you want me to uh, yeah. Okay. So let me go for uh, Labour backing this fifty billion pound uh, potentially DC, probably DC incubator growth fund, um, which uh, I think was uh, uh, put into the uh, FT first. Uh, yep. So Rachel Reeves, uh, Shadow Chancellor, has essentially said that um, we need a fifty billion pound uh, fund for pensions. Um, this is uh, startup scale up. So we'll go into what they call fast growing UK companies, but entrepreneurs and uh, essentially venture capital is, I think, what we should interpret. Do you think um, they'd invest in Shooter PR and policy, Nico? <laughs> you need a business plan, mate. You need <laughs> a business true. plan. That's true. Uh, all I know about venture capital is that you need to pretend you're a tech company. Right. Um, if you can, if you can get in your business plan the words AI now, you know you Ooh. will put two zeros onto your valuation. A little bit of tip for you. A little bit of tip for all our listeners. Um, there's no such thing as a bad AI pitch um, uh, in VC. So, yeah, amazing how the narrative from the Labour Party has shifted mm. from you know a charge cap uh, pressure uh, on on obviously the coalition government. Um, to two and twenties, great. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Obviously, there'll be a lot of detail. We assume in the manifesto, 
Um, but or, or uh, not, uh, you know. Yeah, well, I think, I think details and manifestos, um, you know, aren't two words you often hear hand in hand. <laughs> They're sort of backing notes, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, look, I think there's there's obviously going to be lots of discussion in the industry um she does i guess she was asked directly the question about fiduciary duty um and responded that she thought uh you know whilst it might not would not need to be mandated nothing is off the table so um i think we're going to come on to this uh probably in the in the second half of the of the show but uh, you know probably i i wouldn't just take it off the table i'd make it actually the play if you want this to happen i'd make it the play yeah um but that is to come, and the High Court will, no doubt, the barristers and silks will be uh, <laughs> girding their loins up and, and uh, thinking about trust law. And <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think that yeah. you know this is yeah whoever's in power after the next election, this will be a keen theme, and it's yeah. not going to go away. And yeah. um, you know, I I think we've probably mentioned on this podcast a few t- times about the some of the motivations behind you know the government's sudden interests in value for money, and you mm. know value for money is a, is a good concept. It's right that um, you know people get good pension outcomes, and value for money is a key part of that. But it, you know, as you were sort of indicating, Nico, it's um, it's amazing how the narrative has shifted. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's lots of stuff we're going to come back to in that in that news story. What 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 have you got? So um, about a year ago, I think it was July, July last year, there was a bit of a spat between um, <laughs> a few providers about um, transfer times and scams and, you know, and um, I, I, I wasn't going to name them, but, you know, it's, 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 it's public knowledge. So, um, you know, you've got the pensions B and we had Romy on the podcast. Um, hi, Romy. And uh, <laughs> People's Pension, uh, Patrick Keith Lay, uh, my former boss or one of my former bosses, um, and your boss as well, Nico. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is in professional pensions talking about, um, you know, whether DC transfers are always in the members' interests um, and speed isn't everything. And, um, you know, that, that, that um, you know, this almost a year on, this um, um, sort of toing and throwing has, has, has been reignited. And I think right. it raises some sort of quite important issues, yeah. So, you know, to my mind, scams, you know, is heinous, yeah? And we need to do mm-hmm. everything that we can to stop scams, yeah? Um, so we need to sort of make sure that we've got the protections in place to, to you know, to cut that stuff off at the knees, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, then I think there's a question around whether a transfer is in uh, a member's right interest, yeah? And that, again, feeds into some of the retail institutional debate that I'm imagining we might pick up on in a, in a few minutes' time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But for me, that's that's got to be considered very differently from scams, yeah, because that's about choice, yeah. And mm-hmm. as long as um, people are, you know, and, and this might be a bit of a stretch, but an informed consumer, they have the information, you know, they're engaged, then, you know, ultimately... You know, um, and 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 it's it's well regulated, and you know you get proper disclosures and all of that. Then we shouldn't be putting undue barriers in people's way to transfer, yeah. yeah and that's yeah. got to be separate from scams. And I and I think there's been a bit of blurring of this in terms of the mm. wider narrative. No, I, I haven't looked at the specific the recent blow up, right? But but my memory was that the previous one was that um, TPP and others, I think were noting that pensions B has like an incentive to make transfers. There's like a, a, yeah, so it's a, a small cash fee. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and that is in the FCA's guidance, 
one of the hallmarks of a scam. I think that's right. No, that's, yeah. So in the um, in the scam regulations, that's a red flag. So that right. is a red yeah. flag means which means you cannot transfer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's um, so so that's been one of the main problems. Yeah. And and I think it's there as a signal for a scam. Like I, you know, I, I think um, it's a bit of a stretch to say, oh, if someone's offered a hundred pound, yeah, or whatever the the small initial, you know, um, uh, signing on fee actually is, then you know mm-hmm. that's indicative of a scam. Um, so you know, it's it's one of these things, you know, uh, draft legislation in haste, uh, repent at leisure. And well, um, when it comes to gambling, Darren, I mean, you know, obviously all of the online bookies uh, offer you kind of sign up fees. So maybe gambling is a scam. Um, maybe well, we should address that. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, so like, I don't want to distract us too much. No, so, 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 so I think, um, you know, like it, it, to my mind, there's a lots of issues that are being conflated. So there's the scamming. Right. There's whether stuff is in people's right interests. But also we know that some providers, not all, but some providers are pretty inefficient when it comes to pensions transfers. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, we just need to comp- compartmentalise that debate a bit. Yeah, we need strong anti-scam rules. We need to make sure that people, you know, are making decisions that are in their best interests, you know, and that's mm. about making sure they have accurate and proper information. Um, and then once people have made that decision, yeah, um, that's where the process needs to be um, really slick and really efficient and, um, you know, d- administrative it administrative delays you know shouldn't really you know be there causing you know consumer harm and detriment so um there is merit on both sides is that is that your conclusion here (laughs) yeah it's 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 one of those ones on the one hand on the other um Uh, and you know i think that well as i say what we need to do is we need to sort of bring all of this stuff together um but make sure that you know, we're not conflating the issues when it comes to discussing and debating some of this stuff, mm, which I think yeah. is quite important. Yeah, 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 very true. Um, we normally obviously have a guest and therefore we normally obviously have three pieces of news, unless you go to chat GPT, down and uh, ask it what to do. <laughs> I still think that. Genius. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, shall I do a third one? Oh, go on, Nico. Um, you're not going to count it against me in the future. No, okay, so... <laughs> So, yeah, the Pensions Industry Unites to put an end to inequity uh, headline in Pensions Expert. Um, So, uh, yeah, 20 businesses have formed the Pensions Equity Group uh, to try and tackle pensions inequalities in the UK. Um, So, I guess, fundamentally thinking about uh, the gender pensions gap, um, no doubt uh, thinking about um, uh, essentially pensions gaps due to part-time employment, uh, due to earning below the, uh, the, the the earnings threshold, which are obviously uh, rapidly coming into the hands of the minister. Um, there's obviously the racial uh, pensions gap, which uh, I think TPP, BNTE spoke about previously. Mm. Um, so there's a number of different kind of features here that I guess we hope uh, they look at. Well, I think it's great that um, you know, the 20-odd businesses are looking to sort of drive this forward pick up and run with it and you know wish them all the best to to affect real change i think um you know when, when i think about inequality in pensions or inequity in pensions you can't get away from the fact that a lot of it is related to the labor market and mm. you know what the pension system shouldn't do is make the matters worse yeah, yeah. And, and 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 ultimately the pension system you know we should think about how we can use it to correct for some of the inequalities within the labor market 
But because we have a system of you know auto enrollment, because we have a system of employee um, employer contributions related to salary, you know any 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 work on this cannot lose sight of you know that wider labour market driver of you know what's actually happening here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did wonder looking at the list um, what they would actually do. Um, you know, ultimately, a lot of the levers are in the hands of the government, aren't they? Um, so. You know, one of the critical issues, I think, for the gender pensions gap is around maternity, yes. uh, paternity, shared parenting, uh, you know, just how society, how employers deal with uh, males and females in the workplace who have children. Yeah, um, and people taking time out for caring and then people yeah. who might then return to the workforce, but maybe not full time or, yeah, or might yeah. do a slightly different role from what they were doing before to, to fit around mm-hmm. childcare. Um, yeah, you know, the, the culture the, around that, which yep, you know yep. discriminates against women. So, yep. so there's a lot of things there where you kind of go, well, all right, what are the insurers and the consultants and you know some other industry pensions bodies going to really do? Yeah. Um, well, well, I hope they. I, I, I hope you know, as I said earlier, they they have great success in this space. Mm, um, yeah. You know, it's it's great that you've got a, a a group of people, a group of companies coming together to 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 really try and tackle this. I would imagine the list of the businesses will grow over time, mm. or it should do, or I'd hope it would. You know, there's some there's some names that I would expect to see on that list that aren't on there. Um, uh-huh. And I think that, you know, what I would say is, you know, let's get some positive action that's coming out of this, stuff that yeah. can actually make a difference and can actually, mm. you know, drive it forward. Um, you know, I think the issues are well articulated, and they have been for a while. You know, now Pensions mm. has done a lot of really good stuff on you know, the pensions, gender pay gap, and, you know, has, has done, you know, years worth of research, just keeping looking at that and stuff. We know what the problem is. We need a way to try and fix some of that stuff. Yeah, and obviously these guys will, I'm sure, now put themselves uh, in front and centre to be talking and demonstrating their um, their own gender pensions gap. So uh, no doubt that's, that's in a fantastic position. You would um, hope so. You would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's a commitment for them to address those issues if if they are in their own workforce. Awesome. Right. Um, Having had a few quiet news weeks, it feels like this week was actually quite (laughs) quite monumental. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the news, it's it's been a funny few weeks, actually, Nico, with the two bank holidays. And, you know, Mm, it just, I, I, I find it just sort of, you know, disrupts my work rhythm bank holidays i'm not i'm not arguing against bank holidays you know i'm I'm not arguing arguing against having a day off at all um but yeah there's a rhythm that you get into and yeah it's just felt a bit funny the past couple of weeks not having that that that, you know those mondays and and stuff and it's very rare you have sort of two very short weeks in a row other than well we're about to have a we're about to have a third one mate i know i know you know i hope you get back your rhythm in in june um but look should we should we turn to uh kind of discussing the main the main event um talking about what we've heard talking about i'd like to also talk about what we haven't really heard um, yeah so uh yeah how to do this as ever you know darren you and i are slightly winging it today but um no not that... at all nico that, that's <laughs> never the case I think it demonstrates our prowess as off the cuff, like after dinner speakers. If you want to hire either of us, we'd love to. We'd love to speak to your uh, room of black tie gentlemen and and ladies, no yeah, doubt. If you, um, if you if you want an after dinner speech um, focusing on bootstrapping and Monte Carlo simulations, then Nick oh, is yeah. man. Oh yeah, 
Um, well, we could talk for 50 minutes now about that, but let's yeah, not. Let's um, not. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I think we've had a number of different debates. Um, let's go through. We've obviously got a list. Let, should we just do these sort of in turn? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first one was this kind of retail versus institutional mm. debate. Um, and there's a little bit of this which has sort of maybe happened off podcast um, and in the pages of our biggest uh, fan. Fan, or, yeah, uh, fan. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say critic, but no, I'm actually going to count Henry as a fan. Yeah, so um, he has uh, held us to account for essentially, uh, you know, maybe a view which says um, that, that retail is less value for money than, than the workplace. Um, but I think we've refined that, haven't we, to yeah. say it's very sensitive to how you define what value for money is. Um and obviously, that's a large part of what we try and talk about in the podcast. So if value for money is something to do with inertia and defaults, and, you know, by the way, Nest as the kind of uh, centrepiece of uh, government pensions policy. The default uh, default. So the default default, the provider of last resort. Um, uh, you know, if they are value for money, and I think we have to assume the system is slightly biased towards demonstrating that they are, then retail will struggle. Yeah. Um, and it will struggle because it offers choice. Um, and fundamentally, choice is expensive, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I threw that into a debate when we were talking about those transfers. Um, and maybe there are kind of strong views, particularly amongst our guests, that, you know, really people should not be transferring out of their institutional schemes into retail. Hmm. Um, and I, I sort of feel like it got a little conflated into that debate. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it depends what you're measuring. Yeah, mm. and why you're measuring it, and I think the point you were trying to make, if not to, not to sort of try and um, retrofit what you were saying or anything, Nico, <laughs> but but actually, you know, if you if you, if your starting point is that you know institute you, you you develop a framework for you know assessing value within the institutional space, yeah, mm. if you just lift and drop that, yeah, over to retail then mm. almost by definition, because it hasn't been created to account for some of the strengths of the retail sector and why people yeah. would get value from retail, then it's always going to be worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and and that goes to the heart of the dilemma here in terms of what are we trying to measure and why are we uh, trying to measure it? Now, I've yeah. always said, and um, you know, I was quite pleased that that Romy agreed with me on this when it came to, you know, when she was on the podcast, um, mm. that we want retail in phase one. Yeah. And and that's not to say retail good, uh, institutional bad or vice versa. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little while ago about sort of transfers and people making, you know, decisions. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think it's only fair and right that, um, you know, people have the information in front of them. Yeah, when when mm. it comes to thinking about whether they should transfer out of institutional to, to retail. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I would like to see that in phase one, um, because ultimately retail should be held to as higher account as institutional when it comes from a member protection perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't see I don't see why not. But equally, we need to sort of recognise that there are different features, there are different pros, and the different cons of retail mm. versus institutional. So I can see why DWP put it back into phase two. Um, they've got a lot on their plate. Obviously, there's a there's enough to talk about and to discuss in the institutional side. Um, but you know, what thing that worries me about it being in phase two is, um, well, that we'll do that tomorrow, and tomorrow mm. never comes. You know, is it is it one of those ones that will just get put in the too difficult box? 
Um, yeah. And and that's some of the stuff that I've I've, I've sort of taken from you know uh, some of our guests so far. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Romy spoke well about that. I thought Rob Cochran actually when he was talking about what value means to him. And he gave yeah. the example of his rucksack and he asked us what we thought was value for money. And I think I was banged on about Apple and my iPhone and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, value is in the eye of the beholder. And yeah. I think that's the crucial missing point, you know, within some yeah. of the, the DWP stuff so far on this. Yeah, but you see, this is where, I mean, look, we're going to skip around. I'm going to, uh, you know, the the... This is an inertial policy, right? Um, and so actually value is not in the behind of the, the beholder under the institutional framework. Um, it is in the eye of some trustees um, who hopefully have the members' interests at heart, but they have that sort of patrician elite mm. kind of view, right? And that's not meant to be in any way negative, right? In fact, I, I think that is immensely positive. Right? Mm. Um and people will frame that as essentially saying, I know what's good for you better than you do, right? And, and they'll kind of put like a libertarian kind of uh, spin against that. Uh, but we do know that when people make choices, particularly in long-term financial products, they, they essentially self-harm. Um, and there's lots and lots of evidence, yep. you know, worked over many, many years about that. Yep. So this is why I don't think that the retail and institutional worlds can sit in the same framework. It's because they have different understandings of what the duty of care is. Yep. The duty of care in the institutional side is to appoint a patrician elite who essentially tries to think better for you than you might do for yourself. And that's because of attention and essentially expertise around uh, complex financial and long-term products. Mm. Um, and in the retail space, it's to provide clear information that accurately describe the products and enable you to make choice. Yep. And I just think they're really awkward bedfellows. And I, I just think you're going to damage one if you put the other in with the same bed. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I think it comes down to the question value for money for whom? Yeah. And, and yeah, what are you yeah. trying to achieve? So, you know, I think it is so, like, I think most master trusts out there, you know, authorized master trusts, you know, you'll, you'll be struggling to survive if you didn't offer value for money. There's probably mm. one or two. Yeah. Um, and you, you see consolidation happening. But, you know, in, in, in relative terms, yeah, compared with the very long tail, tail that we have of quite small, quite expensive, quite inefficient schemes, they provide value yeah. for money. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know that's debatable, but let's, if we if we just take that as a starting point, um, yeah. but but all of that is within that world of inertia, yeah. Um, so you know we need because because people aren't making an active choice and they can't make that decision as in the eye of the beholder, then you know having a framework against which um, you can do that cross industry comparison, trustees can benchmark mm-hmm. themselves, you know, um, you need something there to hold trustees and the the wider framework to account yeah um now that's very different within the retail space yeah and i think that's where we're concluding on this that you Mm -hmm. know people need good information they need good good disclosure and um you know you need some form of comparability especially i think and this is one of the reasons why this issue comes to a head so much is because there is currently a lot of movement yeah between institutional and retail yeah right um and i think you know um if 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 you weren't having that vast amount of movement between the 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 the, the two types then i think the the need for retail to be in a um a consistent vfm framework is is less so 
Um, mm-hmm. But you're getting consolidation within this industry on a number of levels. You know, you're obviously getting it at a scheme level, you're getting it at a um, provider level, but also you're getting it at individual level as well, which I think is a key driver of why the retail versus institutional stuff is so important at this stage. Mm-hmm. We're not going to run this to ground today. Um, I, 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 I think... Yeah, this is this is this is going to continue to be a theme, isn't it? Um, let's let's move on to some of the other things we wrote down. So um, one piece, and maybe we haven't talked about it as much as as some of us would like, but forward looking versus backward looking. Mm. So in the performance measures in the VFM consultation, you know there are there is a kind of placeholder to put in forward looking measures. Yeah, um, and you know uh, I, I I I wonder if the better framework to talk about this is just time horizon. So I, I don't think, and a few of our respondents have said this, I, I, I don't think you can measure value for money from a DC pension scheme, really, at least until you retire and probably until you die, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be actuarial about it, but you know that gives me like a 60, 70 year period before it really becomes clear whether the, the system and the scheme itself delivered value for money. Yeah. We have a track record of, for some schemes, just over 10 years uh, in the Master Trust auto-enrollment world. Um, and for me, that I know, it's been a very unusual 10 years, I think. Just a bit. Fair to say. Maybe there's never an, a non-unusual 10 years. But well, since it, the global it, financial crisis, um, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, but, it, you know, maybe the 40s were quite different from the 50s and the 60s. Anyway, so, so you know, it, until we have multi paradigm kind of investment markets sitting underneath the job that the the, the governance and the investment skill of those uh, institutions is actually reacting to I, I really think it's a bit early to call value for money um, so forward looking uh, is probably the only way that we have to try and grapple with that but puts it into this incredibly subjective and dot 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 yes conflicted area of um you know assumptions and yeah. uh, gaming them so it is really really difficult but i do think if we just look at backward looking i mean for number one we're not going to invest in any liquid assets at all mm. because they've had a terrible time compared to uh, listed passive equities over that period um and, and you know there's a whole bunch of reasons why you just can't hold the last 10 years to account for as being like representative of the next 60 right so yeah. um I am, you know, an actuary. I, I do believe in the ability for institutions to discuss and kind of uh, narrate why they've chosen assumptions. Um, and I think it makes institutions better because it should link to your beliefs as to how things are going to happen and give you something to hold yourself to account to. Yeah. Um, but it is not objective. And, um, you know, we have certainly seen the financial services industry hiding behind that, not least things like with profits. Um, so, Massively yeah. So. So, so, so do you think it's a bit of both? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's, mean, it's the only data point, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, you have to include the backward looking. You can't ignore it. Mm. Um, schemes which say... Uh, you know, we're great at this. And then the last 10 years, they were terrible. Um, you know, they're, they're probably terrible at this. But it's got to be, um, yeah, because I think the backward looking stuff is more of a, you know, obviously, past performance isn't any type of guide for future performance, as we mm-hmm. as we know. But if you're constantly getting it wrong, yeah, then something's going wrong somewhere. Um, yeah. So it does give you um, a sense of, you know, um, 
yeah, as, as, as you say, you know, if you've had 10 years of really poor performance, but, you know, don't worry, the next 10 years is going to be a lot better. Yeah, trust us, guys. Yeah, you know, that doesn't sort of really compute. So, you know, I think, you know, there, there's got to be some subjectivity in this. Yeah, otherwise mm-hmm. you're just going to get herding. Yeah, um, and you're going to get a lack of innovation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think from an investment perspective, we do still need to innovate. Um, oh, massively. We're, we're, we're not going to get boil it down to a single number, um, but it's how you get that forward-looking and backward stuff together in a comparable, if, if, you know, if that's possible, I don't know if it is, but if in a, in a sort of comparable and meaningful way. Um, and, and well, look, me- so, but there's another thing, Darren, right, which is the, the desire to create a number, right, a single figure. Yeah. Um, and actually what we need to, to talk about is the quality of the governance and the quality of the investment process. Um, and so I, I don't, you know, more numbers are better than than fewer. Right? Yeah. So because because you lose the detail and you're just going to aggregate and cherry pick your best figure um, and you will misrepresent yourself. Mm. So, you know, somewhere and maybe it's maybe it's one of the things we've not been talking about is just this desire to aggregate everything down to an objective figure, which to me is utterly meaningless when it comes to, you know, 50 years out into the future. 20 different choices which are all meaningful uh, that I might take with my DC pot at retirement. Um, and, you know, the desire for simplicity here, I think, is is really going to bias it towards some parts of the market and other, uh, and against others, a.k.a. Nest and against retail, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, like, we want something that's simple. We want something that's comparable. But you can potentially make some stuff too simple. And if you make mm. stuff too simple, then it's hiding all sorts of sins. Well, but also, you know, um, what has what financial services products is competing with pensions, which has a more simple value for money statement? You know, ISAs. Right? Indeed. Right. So, so if this is savings, and ISAs are better able to articulate their value for money um, than you know long term pension savings. Then, if you make it too simple, you're just going to get people giving up employer contributions and giving up tax relief to go into ISIS. Mm. So, you know, the nuances I think here are really, really important. Um, and the desire to make, you know, one red, amber, green, I think is 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 really wrongheaded. Really wrongheaded. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, obviously, um, we had Des Healy on from the DWP mm. as one of our early guests um, just after the consultation uh, came out. Um, he's probably beavering away at the moment, isn't he, Nico? Um, looking I'm sure he is. Responses. Trying to yeah. trying to work out what we said to him. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We 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 actually submitted our response as a podcast, didn't we? Uh, we which did. I think was quite novel. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether that's referenced in the summary of responses or not. Uh, hopefully, it will be. <laughs> if you're listening, Des. Um, yeah, please do. But, but you know, like you know, they they've got some big calls to make on this stuff, and it'll be interesting mm. to see how they you know, collate all of the views and the evidence that's been provided to them and then work mm. out a way forward that, you know, does shift the dial, uh, but doesn't have unintended consequences. You know, I'm not envying Des as a, a policy official having to sort of pull this together and and, and, and work out where we're going to go. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, so look, I'm really conscious that um, we should try and get to, I'm desperate to talk about the things we haven't talked about. Um but uh, we should do justice to these other debates. So um, decumulation, I think, um, is one of those other topics of phase two, which are, I, I think that the framework is weaker, leaving it out. 
yeah. this is where maybe you and I differ, right? Which is you would want to see retail come off that phase two list. I would want to see decumulation come off that phase two list. Well, um, well, I, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think I feel a bit more passionately about retail than decumulation mm. at the moment. But ultimately, um, you know, what's the point of value for money and having a value for money framework if it doesn't deliver better outcomes for people when they need those better outcomes? Yeah. So yeah. it's half a framework without decumulation. Yeah. I think that I can see why they put it in phase two, um, because I think that, you know, we're still there's, there's still a lot of innovation to be done and a lot of thinking to be done and a lot of product and process development to be done um, before yeah. ultimately we can have a sensible conversation about, you know, um, what a decumulation framework actually looks like from a value for yeah, money perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, we're expecting a DWP consultation on at retirement later this year, whenever, you know, when, whenever that will be, it could be before summer, it could well be after, who knows. Um, but I think there's some big, bigger discussions from a policy and strategy perspective mm-hmm. that need to be had before we can then move into a slightly more granular um, value for money discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why yeah. I'm more relaxed about it being in 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 phase two. You know, how, however, it's all about outcomes. Yes, well, we'll definitely come back to that. Um, so then, a, a, another kind of area of debate was, um, I guess, the the role of service standards, and particularly around uh, administration timelines and uh, communications. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I've been, I guess, I don't know, I quite quite surprised at how dominant those have been coming out of our mm. interviewees. Mm. Um, so I think when you and I did that, the very first, um, we didn't call it a special, did we? You called it episode one. The pilot. Um, the pilot, did we call it that? Yeah. yeah. So so you and I chatted about it, um, about DC and about where Value for Money slotted in. And I think we both revealed ourselves to be sort of like behavioral finance, uh, inertia, default kind of guys, right? Limit choice, um, you know, make this work without someone engaging in it. Yeah, I, um, I don't think it would be any secret um, if, hmm. if for people who know us within the industry that, you know, we do have that that bias. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a load of evidence which supports our bias. Um, and, uh, you know, we had this great moment in 2008 where I guess we were, we were champions. Um, <laughs> and it feels like with freedom and choice and, uh, you know, kind of more libertarian, uh, more complexity as well, um, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, there's more of a dominance in, in terms of offering choice and therefore needing to administer stuff better mm. uh, because it is more complex and to communicate better because, you know, good choices are one in 20 for everyone who, who has specific circumstances they're trying to look for. Mm. So, yeah, I guess that's come out. Maybe this is a fault line between us and our interviewees. Um, uh, and it's sort of there in the consultation, isn't it, as a, yeah. as a potential future part of the framework? But, but only to the extent it leads to better outcomes. But I, yeah, but yeah, I, but also I think that, like we were just saying around the decumulation framework, yeah, and value for mm. money around that. I think we've got to be very clear what we are trying to see uh, achieve with the macro system. Yeah. yeah. So you know, is it uh, a system that um, is totally driven by inertia? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might be able to jump off that inertial path and deliver yourself better outcomes. Um, however, if you don't jump off that path, you know, you'll be broadly okay, right? Yeah, That's yeah. one system on one extreme. 
Um, the other system going back pre-auto enrolment was personal responsibility, incentives, you know, uh, marketing campaigns to get people saving to a pension. It didn't work, right? Yeah. Um, sort of, I think it was called the informed choice agenda at the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and what at the moment we've got hybrid. Yeah. So you know, for baseline, so so auto enrolment, great ticks the participation box, subject to the wrinkles that do need ironing out. You know, twenty seventeen yeah. review implementation will do some of that. Um, but ultimately, that provides a, a foundation, but only a part foundation. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a debate about levels of contributions, you know, mm-hmm. um, and whether they should go up or not. And, you know, there will be people listening to this podcast will say, well, if they do go up, then that won't be right for people on, on, on lower wages and stuff. And that's totally justified and totally valid. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, the point is, you know, to what extent do we use defaults to make sure people are contributing at the right level for them? Yeah. yeah. Because actually, at the moment, um, you know, for an average earner, um, if they're contributing at the auto enrollment default minimum, you know, they should almost be doubling that, yeah. Oh, easily, um, um, yeah. For, yeah, yeah. Um, by, by engaging and making that personal decision, yeah, to get to, um, broadly speaking, what, you know, what they want their target um, replacement mm-hmm. rate should be. So, so at the moment, we've got um, a system that is based on inertia, but it relies on engagement to, to actually to get it work. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, again, you know, as soon as you have a system that's based on inertia, it's very difficult to get people to engage. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so there's some of the big policy questions that I think that need to be resolved. And, you know, yeah. if, if you've got a 100% system where it's all based on inertia, then some of the um, service standards, well, not, not service standards, you should always have good service standards, but some of the engagement stuff and choice stuff and communication stuff is actually less important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a long way from the system that we've got now, because yeah. ultimately, you know, um, we're providing that minimum level of outcome for people. You know, but ultimately we're relying on engagement and we're relying on good comms. Um, you know, we're relying on people having a good experience, you know, to mm-hmm. actually get to um, anywhere like the outcomes they're looking to achieve in retirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we've we've talked a bit about engagement and choice. There's an area of choice um, or an area of product design where I think choice is lacking, right, which is, which is in retirement. Yeah. So... Um, we did have a couple of respondents um, who really said what we should be talking about is whole of life income. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's so that uh, Zoe Alexander from Nest and, yep. and Sophia Singleton from from XPS was just pick out. I think there was a theme with a number of other guests. There was, yeah. We, 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 um, went, we went through a bit of a purple patch where this kept coming up as a theme. Didn't yeah, we? yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't we don't try and bias it too much. No, but, no, um, no, no. You know, I, I think there's a sort of sub debate. So that that's not a choice that you can you can take today. I think in any master trust, right, mm. um, or indeed any single employer trust, I, I I can just buy an annuity at the age of you know whatever whatever time I, I'm kind of leaving my single employer trust, um, but I don't have any options to kind of mix a sensible kind of decumulation drawdown plan with an annuity or to uh, partly annuitize or to buy deferred annuities. So, so there's definitely a kind of gap here um, where we need product development and innovation, right? Yeah, yeah 100% the, agree. The, the really interesting bit for me is the fault line around where that income should start. 
so in terms of pounds you know per month yeah um where nest and 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 zoe were like no no no, there, there shouldn't be a minimum right um and um i think i would certainly bias towards um you know that tax-free lump sum at retirement is is probably quite a useful thing um well especially and, given and, the state of the housing market and people yeah. you know, having to have mortgages for longer and you know well there's, there's... i mean they're lucky if they've got a mortgage they've got credit yeah. card debt and you know they're, they're on tick at their local corner shop and there's a whole bunch of reasons why they may well want the cash um and for their whole pot to be cash right so hmm. um I, I i i sort of feel like we need to we do need to try and work out what this is for, yep. particularly how it dovetails with the state pension, particularly for lower earners. Yep. Um, and, you know, if I had in my you know, late 60s, 70s, uh, an additional £1,000, £1,500 a year, you know, that might be a pretty good holiday. Um, that might be a quite a good way for me to kind of augment my uh, state pension rather than making that, you know, 20 quid a month or whatever, yeah. whatever that comes, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, 20 quid a week so so um yeah i think i think it's one of those debates that maybe this is one of the things we haven't been talking about but as an industry uh, you know we still have to work out what on earth this thing is for yeah 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 yeah, yeah. especially true as you say after the introduction of freedom and choice and mm. you know i know the plsa have put forward their sort of decumulation or at retirement framework and yeah that's it's all nudging in the right direction but I do think that there are these bigger macro policy questions, you know, around, um, you know, inertia versus engagement, you know, choice. Mm. You know, can you actually default people into, you know, um, a, a path in retirement and what that means for risks that trustees might be running? And, you know, um, and, it, and it sort of plays into the whole CDC debate as well. Um, yeah. So, but, but, you know, again, it's really hard to to talk about value for money in this in in in, in this situation and, and around decumulation stuff because because ultimately we don't have the framework to find yet you know we, we don't yeah. have the framework yeah. well enough to find in the accumulation frame the phase it's nowhere near even starting to be defined in the at retirement phase mm-hmm. so the final thing that we have touched on is really the role of the employer yeah um, this is a good one this one so, you know, the employer selects the arrangement um, and uh, then is like off scot-free, right? So the arrangement itself assesses whether it is not, in its own mind. They're not, they're not scot-free. They still have to make right, their auto enrolment contributions. You know, yeah, so, yeah, but they're but, not liable for those contributions in any way delivering value for money or delivering no, no, outcomes. No, 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 no. I just don't, I just don't want lots of um, letters coming through my door saying, as employers, oh, we're not getting off scot-free. That's all. Uh, I'm going to maintain the Scott Free thing so that people can email <laughs> us at vfmpensions at gmail.com because we'd love to hear from you. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I think that, you know, they, they employers really do very little um, by law to make sure that the uh, contributions that go come from, you know, at the end of the day, their payroll mm. actually deliver anything. Yeah. And it was amazing, really, that the consultation didn't put employers anywhere in the frame. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that they have to have strict legal liability. You know, this that feels like an American solution, not a, a UK one. Right? Mm. We don't really sue people in the same way in this country. But I do think that having a better process for them every three years when they go through, is it called re-enrolment, isn't it, Darren? Yeah, that's right. Uh, when they go through, they need to a- assess their provider that they've chosen 
demonstrate why they think they should be maintained from a VFM perspective. Um, and, and it's just totally absent from the consultation, which is amazing. Yeah, that, that, uh, so I, I think fundamentally I agree with you. Um, and it was always a big debate and a big discussion as to what the role of the employer was. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to keep the best features of the workplace system when we introduced auto-enrolment and that relationship with the employer. Although, you know, you're 100% right. You know, the employer is not on the hook as long as they pay their contributions, you know, um, yeah. and, and, and those contributions go into a qualifying scheme. Um, yeah. And I think we mentioned it was either the last podcast or the one before, I can't remember which. But, um, you know, a lot of that small employer auto-enrolment business, yeah, um, which is giving some of the bigger master trusts a huge annuity flow of assets, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and, and charges is incredibly sticky. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and there's, there's, there's north of a million employers there, you know, so how do we ensure value for money, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that those schemes are being held to account? Obviously, a lot of them are trust-based schemes, so you would expect trustees to be in a good job. But is this the point of this value for money framework? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and is this the institutional versus retail debate just sort of characterized in a in a slightly different way like if we can't get employers to hold their providers to account we need regulators to hold providers to account you know is, yeah. is that the distinction we're starting to well to or duties in law to force people to do it right i mean yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah look i mean so i do remember sitting down and uh, talking when i was at one of the consultant roles i've had about the behavioral finance that we should be applying to our clients mm. um and you know having a default 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 <laughs> uh and then you know choice step one of uh you know essentially a range of passive and risk return and objective at retirements and choice yeah. step two of being like more complex good old sell the mousetrap consulting right so yeah. um i do think that we should be thinking about them in that light um you know there are definitely employers with less attention ability because they're smaller uh, and less expertise because you know then <laughs> finance is not for everyone right mm-hmm. and, uh, right um we do we really want british plc having to spend a huge amount of time on pensions no i don't no. Uh, you know so so we have to find a, a, a good place where they can do this sensibly um yeah but they have to do more than nothing yeah um so um if you could if the federation of small businesses are, are listening to this podcast can you address all of this stuff at nico um, yeah, yeah, yeah but, no, but I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so, no, um, so I, look, I think you're right, and it's about proportionality. You know, you're not expecting yeah. small employers to do, um, you know, um, detailed reviews to engage with advisors and consultants to, you know, really kick the tires like some of the larger employers would. You know, you're not asking yeah. for that, I don't think. Um, but there needs to be something there. You know, um, yeah. I think is what you're saying. All right. Um, we've 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 not quite run out of time um we've got 10 minutes I do want to talk about, 10 minutes nico all right so look Hot. i do want to talk about two things I, I want to go on a bit of a rant really darren oh god um, so yeah exactly so um what are we not talking about um i am continually shocked at how we're not talking about outcomes yeah um you know so I, I actually feel that VFM may be destructive. And I, it, this has come to me really over the last, I guess, this year that we've been running this podcast, um, that more time and attention is being spent on VFM than adequacy, mm. you know? So it, it, I was trying to come up with an analogy. I think we're trying to choose the best 500 calorie a day <laughs> diet, right? So we've got this fantastic 
ability to have like a great mixture of all the major food groups and it's you know whole meal and it's uh, got great five a day characteristics lots of vitamins but they're still starving mm-hmm. um and you know rather than actually get people putting the right amount of pension uh, contributions into their pension and you know, we need to discuss whether that comes from them or their employer. Yeah. We absolutely have to talk about tax relief um, and how it's massively unequal uh, in this country at the moment. Those are really two really Huge important issues. topics we shouldn't lose sight of, right? But we're just, we've been pushed off the ball to talk about VFM, to be focused on micro detail. You know, there's 35 now master trust schemes and they're all VFM, right? They are all good enough in the words of jenny siegel right that they're all good enough um as a stick to force consolidation i think they've got legislative power they certainly could take it to just close you know starts at 100 million pound dc schemes close them right just take that power uh, but instead we've got this thing to talk about uh, essentially how to get the best 500 calorie diet yeah. and ignoring that britain is starving when it comes to pensions so I, I, it's increasingly frustrating to me, Darren. It's increasingly frustrating. But um, I think um, just just building on this point, yeah, um, and, and this sort of came to me or sort of started coming out in the Brian Henderson episode. You know, yeah. I'll be talking about the value of the pension scheme or the provider in isolation, yeah? Right. Or I'll be talking about the wider value of the pensions offering. Yeah. And sometimes, um, you know, so so the way you would characterize this, I think, is, you know, is this is this value post contributions? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, again, we risk conflating some of the arguments and some of the debate around this stuff, because unless unless we're very clear on what we're we're valuing. Yeah. And why we're valuing it then how are we ever going to get the metrics that we need to be able to do that comparison? And that really matters on things like engagement and choice and communication, which in turn yeah. really matters for the retail versus institutional discussion where we started this podcast. Yeah. I, I, I just wonder if a better measure wouldn't be projected replacement ratio or like DB equivalent. Uh, if you join here, you're going to get something like an 80th, mm. right? You, you, you know, because... Actually, that's the that's the number that matters. Yeah. Um, saying whether these guys get good value for the twenty basis points they spend on the money that you have contributed is so meaningless. It's so so meaningless uh, compared to are you contributing enough? Yeah. Right. Is there a structure that enables you post retirement to actually make the most of that money? Right. Those those are two higher priority things in my in my book than. Than value for money as as currently construed. Yeah. One last bit of the run. Nope. One last bit. <laughs> I I I don't believe that VFM will actually lead us to invest in uh, illiquids, uh, sustainability, more in Britain, whatever the Rachel Reeves, uh, what is it, entrepreneurs and startups. Yeah. You know, I don't believe that those things are better value for money uh, than passive funds, mm. right? Um, and you know, come and at me, right? But but fundamentally. Uh, the whole reason that passive has become king is because investing with a brain is a lot, lot harder than investing against market cap. Yeah. Right. And if you're good at it and you're in the 20% who outperform, you're very, very hard to find and you're probably quite expensive. Mm. Right? <laughs> if you invest off market and you're going to these private assets, you know, they are incredibly hard to source. Yeah. So, so 
the debate about VFM says those things shouldn't happen. For the for the avoidance of doubt, I think they absolutely should. Right. Mm. We need price discovery in our listed markets and yeah. we need to finance the climate transition and infrastructure builds. And we probably need to create a better uh, UK bias in our equity holdings. Mm. But none of those are going to be facilitated by VFM. Mm. Right. None of them at all. In fact, VFM may talk against all of those. Yeah. And uh, um, and, and, and quite often with any, any sort of you seen this um, with other government initiatives where it's all about reporting and all about disclosure, it can actually detract um, attention. Um, yeah. from from actually trying to do what you should be doing um, yeah. and the number of schemes and providers I talk to which is oh my gosh we spend so much time on governance and reporting and disclosure now and and it is impacting on their ability to to innovate and to, to do wider stuff now I'm not yeah. saying that transparency and reporting and all of that isn't isn't important it is important but sometimes I think that we think that can solve everything um, yeah. you know, yes, just make sure you do your CCFD report. You know, I think that's a good step forward. Yeah. But I know you're analysing some of those at the moment for is it yeah. the DCIF, which I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm not going to steal anyone. I'm not going to steal your funder on some of that. But it's, you know, hopefully they will make a difference. But reporting isn't going to change the world. But But you see, this is part of the libertarian worldview which is we're all potentially engaged consumers with the intelligence, with a well-written document to read it and make informed decisions, right? Um, and therefore, the more disclosure you have, the better. Mm. But actually, the behavioural finance revolution says, actually, the more disclosure you put, the worse. Mm. Because actually, we're not informed consumers, and we certainly don't have the time or attention to go and do that research. Yeah. Not in all of the domains of our complex lives that we could possibly go and do that. Especially so in areas that we're not interested in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, to require expertise. Yeah. So the more information you put in front of people, the more likely they are to not make a choice, right? <laughs> the more likely they are to make a bad choice. Yeah. And there's a whole different number of bad choices that people can make. So, so we've got a government, and we've had a government really for the last 13 years, who has believed that more information leads to better choices. Mm. And the evidence has to be against that. The evidence of the last... Uh, uh, what is it six seven years since freedom and choice is that people are retiring worse yeah right the annuity market was not functional and we we cannot shy away from that yeah but freedom and choice has not been functional either right the evidence of climate change is that we're not investing anything like as fast as the transition that like mike berners lee was on to tell us about yep. right uh that, that it requires we are behind the curve and we are behind the curve in britain compared to particularly europe uh, but also parts of like other amazing countries that you might not expect, like China, right? Mm. I mean, we are behind the curve. And it is because we sort of believe that people will just give up their cars, you know, insulate their own homes, and, you know, pension schemes will go and invest in wind farms. And it, it, that, that libertarian side just has not been working. And it is time somewhere that we have to recognise libertarian behind, uh, paternalism, behavioural finance, we need a government who puts its hand on the tiller. And that's mm. not me being political. I hope I hope listeners don't think that. I'm not sure, having seen that the Labour Party think the VC is the future, um, that they understand this either. What we need is some sort of step back, let the grown-ups who understand behavioural finance have some sort of policy influence and actually try and frame what governments want and put it into law, not like, uh, you know, soft objectives. We have to be harder on this. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let yeah. me be on my high horse no yeah, and, and um you know we were we were speaking at um an event um a little while ago and um 
you know, like uh, we, we 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 talk about if you can sort of wave a magic wand and mm-hmm. um, you know what can you do, um, especially to solve the climate crisis. You know, mm. markets will not solve it. Yeah, no. Um, you know, you need that. Um, you know, um, geo geopolitical government action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know th- there's a real risk when it comes to that type of stuff, and you see it with the the. Um, the COP agendas and, and the like, and the, mm-hmm. the difficulty in getting progress and an agreement that, you know, um, you do need that concerted and collective action to actually shift the dial on this. Um, yeah. I'm just pretty sceptical about where it's going to come from longer term, if I'm being totally honest with you. Um, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to have to happen. It's going to have to happen sooner. Um, but I just don't know if the, the global politics is anywhere near in the right position to actually, you know, make that short term difference. Well, look, we need to get off our attention-sapping devices. We, the people, need to spend less time on, on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram, and we need to get involved. And, and that, for me, the the attention destruction from these issues that, you know, I'm a social media user, and mm. I get sucked into it as well. Yeah. It, 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 our, our generation and the generation younger than us, I think, really have to realise how they're being manipulated away from important topics. Anyway, look. Um, <laughs> we're out of time we're out of time Nicole. that's a whole other episode isn't it um shall i just do one uh we normally talk about events that are coming up shall i just talk about my dcif uh research yeah i did i did try and give you a subtle plug a little while ago yeah you did look so um i don't think the Eventbrite uh invite is out but if you're linked into me and please do link into me if you if you uh are not already um then i will publish it in the next few days when it comes out uh but the webinar that we're doing we're going to do a webinar to launch this report on tcfd reports um so that's the 22nd of june at 2 p.m um, I think I've managed to extend it from 60 to 75 minutes because there's just so much to talk about. Um, so I really hope you're excited for that. Um, and yeah, no spoilers here. Maybe spoilers next week. We'll see. Oh, <laughs> ah, very good. Very good. Um, well, I've got to write it first, Darren. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and yeah, of course, I'm not winging it at all, are you, Nico? Uh, no, no. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're doing this virtually today. Um, mm. But thanks to go to DG Publishing um, uh, because they usually host us for this podcast. Um, and it, congratulations as well. I think we were talking mm. ahead of the announcement last week, so we were quite brave in terms of doing that. Um, but that they were going to take on the publication of Printers Expert. Um, good to see that um, up and running again. And um, you know, I'm hoping and expecting great things from them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we were good enough to include a pensions expert article this week. Not not for any biases, but just because it uh, was covering interesting stuff. So exactly. uh, I'm sure it will continue to do that. Yeah. Other publications uh, are available. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. Have, we're not the BBC, mate. Oh, I know. BBC. We've had this. No other publications are available. OK, so <laughs> I think that's us, isn't it, Darren? It is. <laughs> So thank you so much, uh, both to you for putting up with us. Um, uh, this is the longest episode, isn't it, Darren? I think we're, um, yeah, I think we're pushing it now. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for putting up with us. Um, hope you'll continue on the journey with us. Thank you to all of the guests that we've had. There actually too many for us to mention by name individually, but um, really that content is what this makes this show great. Uh, so look, for another week, that's, that's it from me. Thank you. And thank you for me.